Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. All right, well, that was fun playing a little game. Ken, thank you for that. I hope you guys are all very disturbed by uh, how poorly you did in that little game. But um, my name is Jason Noble. I'm the children's pastor here, for those of you who don't know me. Maybe you're visiting this summer. Well, we're glad you're here. Um, Let me tell you a story about a little girl. Her name's Mandy. One morning, Mandy was waiting for the light to change so she could cross the street to school. And as the light in her direction turned, she stepped off the curb. Suddenly, Mandy froze as a car shot right past her through the red light and crashed into a car that was already in the intersection. Mandy wasn't hurt. The car that went through the red light was not that close to her, but she felt terrified, then weak and shaky. She was so upset that she started to cry. And that morning at school, whatever Mandy thought about the accident she'd seen, she felt nervous and she felt shaky. By lunchtime, when she talked to her friends about the accident, the shaky feeling was starting to wear off. And she was beginning to feel anger toward the driver of the car that had run that red light. Although Mandy was not physically hurt, her mind and her body were experiencing a strong emotional reaction to a dangerous situation. So what are these things that we call emotions or feelings? Well, emotions, feelings, they include lots of different things. Experiences such as love, hate, anger, trust, joy, panic, fear, grief, and many, many other things. Emotions are specific reactions to a particular event that is usually fairly short in duration. Emotions are complex. They have both physical and mental components. Now, researchers have tried to figure out what's going on inside of our bodies and what's going on inside of our brains when emotions are happening. And there's certain things that they can measure. They can measure things like a pounding heart or sweating or blood rushing to the face. Um, They can also measure things like hormones. So people have very similar internal reactions in their brains and in their bodies, but particularly in their brains, When they're under stress, things like uh, the hormone adrenaline will rush to your brain and it gets you ready to run away or to fight, which you've heard of is called the fight or flight reaction. So sometimes our feelings are based on good information, something that is going on inside of our bodies, something, some chemicals or something that's telling us how we should feel. Okay, so sometimes there's good information that's coming to us, but sometimes what our brains are telling us is not correct. And that's because God designed our brains to do certain things. As you saw in that brain game that Ken did up there, your brain is trained to think one way. And when something is out of the ordinary or something shifts, it's very difficult to think a different way. When you saw mixed images there, it made you not able to process that information the way that you're used to processing it. And the, the issue is, That's the way that God designed our brains. And the same is true with our emotions and our feelings. God designed our brains and our emotions to do two primary things. To protect us, that's that fight or flight comes in, and to connect us. That's why when positive emotions happen, love, joy, those things, it connects us with God and it connects us with other people. That's the way God designed our brains. But like I said, and like we saw in that game, it doesn't always give us the correct reality of what's going on in our world. And so, in order to understand 
kind of how we can process that, we got to go back to the very beginning. We're going to go back to Genesis chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to there. Um, And we're going to kind of just briefly look at a bunch of stuff. But in the beginning, God created everything, all those animals that you saw up on the screen and everything else. But in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, it says this. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God created us, human beings, to be different than all the other creations on the earth. He created us in his own image, and that means a lot of things. But one of the things it means is that when God created us, he sees us in a certain way. He sees us as little image bearers of himself. We're not God, not even close to God, but we're supposed to look like God. Now, not physically, but we're supposed to reflect his characteristics, the the way that he treats others, and especially his relational nature. That reminds me of a mirror. We are supposed to be a little miniature reflection of who God is. That's how he created us. That's how he sees us. He sees us as an image of himself and we are to bear that image to the world. The problem is that so often in life, the mirror that we're looking in, the image that we see of ourselves is distorted. It's messed up. It's wonky. It's like this carnival mirror here. I mean, imagine if I was trying to do my hair in this mirror every morning, how messed up it would be, right? (laughs) Maybe that's what went wrong. But that's not how God sees us. He sees us this way. That's how he created us, okay? God wants us to see ourselves, or another way to say that is to feel about ourselves the way that he sees us and the way that he feels about us. God created us with dignity, and with value built in. We're not like the animals and the fish and the birds. We have been given a value that is higher than them all. Now don't miss the significance of that statement. See, every other, every culture on earth has tried to figure out how life began, the beginning of the world. Um, Every culture, every religion, every people group, except those that follow the Bible, tell us that people are created as slaves, as minions to something bigger than them, either the gods or to nature itself. But the Bible tells us that in the very beginning, God said you are not a thing. God said you're not created by the cosmos, you didn't just happen, and you are not lower than the animals, but you were created as an image bearer of God himself. See, that's why it's so important that we see ourselves the way that God sees us. Because when we see ourselves another way, when we see ourselves in this distorted, messed up, wonky kind of view, then we start to pull away from God. We start to think, if, is that what God thinks of me? And we start to pull away from him and we start to separate ourselves from him. But when we remember that that's the way he sees us, the way he designed us, the way he created us, it pulls us towards him. Daniel, uh, one of our associate pastors, taught last week 
And if you didn't catch his message, you ought to hear it. He said it so well. He talked about a myth in our myth series, the myth of the deceitful heart. He said, um, the deceitful heart, there's basically two myths about our hearts. He said, um, before Christ, there's a myth that we believe that we're good and we're okay and I can, I can do this world by myself. And that's a myth, that is not true before Christ. But then after Christ, when God comes into our lives, there's this myth that we think we're still messed up, we still have to sin and, and we still have this broken heart. And that's not true after Christ either. See, the thing is, is God has given us a new heart and that's what he intended from the very beginning. That's how he saw us and that's how he sees us now after Christ. And so we don't have to live with this messed up image of ourselves. I grew up in Denver and when I was growing up, there was a, a church and the actual name of the church was Scum of the Earth. Now, I, I know what they were trying to accomplish. They were trying to point out to the fact that we are nothing. We have no value without God. We are scum of the earth. But think about the message that that sends if you constantly say that to yourself over and over and over and over again. That's not what God says about you. He says you are an image bearer of him. So that wall above that mirror says, I am alone. You know, we all feel that way at times. Um, even in a group this size, we can feel like nobody's paying attention to us or like we're invisible or that nobody values us. But something's missing from that statement. You see that statement right there, there's three dots in there. And what do we know when there's three dots? That's called an ellipsis. It's a... Uh, it's a grammatical term. And when there's an ellipsis, that means something is missing from that statement. So whenever you see three dots, something is missing. That statement is missing the truth that God created all people to be his image bearers. That statement is missing the truth that God created us to know him and to love him and to know others and to love others. That is how he sees us. And so when we feel alone, and you know what? We're gonna feel that way. That's the great thing about it. That's the other interesting thing about it is you're gonna have feelings. God created your brain that way. That is okay. But whenever you feel that way, remember that dot, 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 something is missing from that statement. So to remember, help us to remember the truth, we're gonna look at a couple of statements and I know I'm, I'm doing the like worst thing here, walking behind the drum set, but you guys will have to forgive me on that one. So we're gonna replace that statement with a truth that's gonna help us. And I need you guys, you guys have already, you did a great job in that game kind of cheering out. And so we're gonna do that here. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna say, I am valuable because, and then you guys are gonna repeat what's up on this board. And hopefully I can do this without hurting myself, okay? So I am valuable because God created me. Let's do it again. I am valuable because God created me. One more time. I am valuable because God created me. And he created you in his image. And he wants you to see yourself the way that he sees you. Okay? And so that means that even when we feel alone, even when we feel like we're invisible, we can always remember that... We are not, in fact, alone because God created us in his image. You know, a few weeks ago, we went to kids camp 
We take about 100 or so kids to camp. And so it takes a couple of those big buses, you know, 56 passenger buses to get us to camp. And uh, we always do that every year. And a few years ago, I remember we were on one of those buses and, you know, they're the kind that have the bathrooms in the back and uh, no seatbelts. I don't understand why there's no seatbelts on those big buses. We have to have seatbelts in our cars, but not in the big buses. I don't know. Anyway, that's the way those big tour buses are, right? And uh, they've got the, the video monitor so you can watch a movie. So we're, we get in the, the movie or in the bus and we, we kick back and we're watching a movie. And then about an hour into the drive, I'm like, man, I don't see the other bus. There's always more than one bus that goes with us. I'm like, where is that other bus? So I'm, I'm trying to figure out what's going on and I'm looking around and I'm like, man, this driver knows where he's going. He's got a big old GPS. Like I've got my little phone GPS. He's got like the big honking GPS thing up, you know, on his panel. And I'm like, he must know where he's going. Well, eventually I realized he must have taken a wrong turn. We are in the wrong place. So I, I got up the nerve to go talk to him and we were way off course. We were lost. Well, of course, eventually we got back on course. We got to camp. We were a little late, but no big deal. That worked out fine. But we had gotten lost and then eventually we found back our way. Well, Jesus tells a story, a parable about getting lost. Now, a parable is is simply a fictional story um, that Jesus would tell to help illustrate a point. We're going to look in Luke chapter 15 if you want to turn there briefly. We're going to look kind of at the very beginning of Luke chapter 15. So he's, he's telling this parable, and the very first part of it, it kind of gives us the context of it. So this is what it says. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. This is Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them? Okay, so here we have Jesus. He's hanging out with this pretty questionable crowd. Tax collectors were like thieves. They, they stole stuff from people legally. Uh, not legally, but... Uh, under the name of the government. And so they were, they were, you know, bad folks. And sinners, these were people that had reputation of being sinners for one reason or another, okay? So these were the lost people. These were the ones, um, you know, that were lost in this, in this culture, okay? So they're all pretty questionable. So, you know, they start, qu- then the, the, like the religious people start going, Jesus, what are you doing hanging out with these lost people? And Jesus could have blasted them and said, hey, get off my back. But he didn't, he just quietly told a story. And this is what he said, verse three. It says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Won't he leave the 99 in the open country? Won't he go and look for the one lost sheep until he finds it? You know what I love to do in the open country? I love to ride my bike. Um, And I don't do it much anymore. But back uh, several years ago, one of the things that I did when we went to camp is I would take my bike to camp. And it was a great way to get around from all the cabins because camp's a pretty big place. But it was also just fun. And you're in the country and I'm just kind of able to take a, take a ride around camp and just kind of, you know, be leisurely out there. Well, Jesus wasn't talking about that kind of a leisurely walk in the country looking for their sheep. He was talking about a pursuit. It was, it was like this. Watch this, this video. This is what's called the cycling pursuit. For Australia, using the double disc wheels on the bike this time. So what happens it's is two, two cyclists get on this big oval track, which you'll see in a second, and they just chase each other around this track. And it, they're really chasing a time. They're not going to catch each other because they're so far apart, but you see them both going on there. It gives them something to chase. And then this is the uh, speed skating pursuit. The only, only time I ever see these is in the Olympics, but this is called the team pursuit. So they chase each other around, and there's another team. And this is my favorite. This is professional tag. Oh, yeah. If you work in a corporate setting, wouldn't this be a great, like, corporate retreat? 
the slow ones wouldn't come back, would they? How crazy is that? build the new children's building, that's going to be what the new playscape is going to be like. No, so how crazy is that? That like serious pursuit, right? I mean, that's what's happening. Jesus in this story, this shepherd's not strolling. He's like, wait, 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 one of my sheep is lost. And he pursues that sheep. Okay, verse three, won't he go look for the one lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he will joyfully put it on his shoulders and he will go home. Then he will call his friends and neighbors together and he will say, be joyful with me. I have found my lost sheep. So not only does he pursue with all his might, but he celebrates with all his heart when he finds them. And he says this, I tell you, it will be the same in heaven. There will be great joy when one sinner turns away from sin. So why is Jesus hanging out with tax collectors and with sinners? Well, because that's what the good shepherd does. He gets around those that are lost. Jesus loves the lost. And remember, being a sinner in this story equals being lost in God's story. So remember that. That's going to be important in a second. All right, but that's not all. There's another parable in John chapter 10 where Jesus is telling about sheep that were lost and how um, God brings them back into the sheep pen. At the end of that, John 10, 10, it says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So in this parable, Jesus points out that when his sheep, when he finds his sheep, he brings them back in, he protects them. But, but protection does not equal being cooped up in the sheep pen. Protection and being cooped up are not the same. Jesus found us so that we may have life and have it to the full. Remember my story about getting lost on the way to camp? Well, once we got to camp, we could do all the awesome stuff that you do at camp. You could zip line, we could swim, we could do archery, we could hang out with our friends, you know, all of that stuff. And it would have been silly if we had finally found our way back to camp and then we put all the kids in the cabins and they stayed there all week and they couldn't do anything. The point of getting to camp is not getting to camp. The point of getting to camp is to do all the awesome stuff that's at camp. The next statement on our wall up there says, I am lost. You know, at times we feel lost. You're not the only person to ever feel lost. And that statement again, what do we know when we see three dots? We see an ellipsis, it means what? Something's missing. That's right, something is missing, okay? So we're all gonna feel like this, but this is a half truth. This is a half truth. Yes, we are lost. All of us are lost because we have all sinned. We, we saw that earlier. But there's still something missing from this statement. And that is this, that God is always, always, always pursuing you. No matter where you are, he has created you to have a relationship with him. He has created you to be in a relationship with others and he is gonna pursue you. He will never give up on you. And what he wants, the reason he's pursuing you is to give you a life to the fullest. So to remind us of that, I put some of my running shoes up here. And that reminds us that when Jesus pursues us, it's not a stroll in the park. It's not a walk in the country. He's like those professional cyclists and those professional skaters and those professional tag players. It is full on out, full speed. And when we understand that, then we can feel, we can know 
that we are valuable in God's eyes and we do not have to feel lost. So, I have another statement for us. The first one is, I am valuable because what? God created me. I am valuable because God created me. The second statement is this. I am valuable because God pursued me. I am valuable because God pursued me. Come on, y'all can do it. I am valuable because God pursued me and he always, always, always will. He's never going to give up on you. Now, if you knew nothing else about God, those two statements right there are a great foundation to build your life on. But as you know, a foundation is something typically made of rock. In our world, it's a concrete foundation or something. We're about to build a new children's building and there's lots of talk about making sure the foundation is strong and the foundation is level and the foundation is what it needs to be. And there'll be a a lot of work once that building starts to get built underneath the ground to make sure that the walls don't crack and all of that once the rest of it is built. The foundation is very important. Well, in Matthew chapter seven, Jesus told a parable about a foundation. We call it the wise and the foolish builders. It's near the end of Matthew chapter seven, if you want to turn. And this is what he says there. Verse 24, he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. All right, stop right there. Storms happen in life, right? Earthquakes happen, right, Ken? Wherever Ken ran off to, those things happen in life. And life gets shaky sometimes. God doesn't say that if you build your house on him as your foundation that you're not gonna have storms. What he says is this, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house. Yet, it did not fall because it had its foundation on rock. The person that builds their lives on the foundation in Jesus will be able to stand no matter what comes in our lives. And that foundation is Christ. But in order to put ourselves on that foundation, listen, we have to believe what God says about us. If we think of ourselves like this, we can never be on the foundation, on the strong footing of what he thinks about us. If we think that we're lost and we're constantly going, yeah, but I made this mistake. Yeah, but God doesn't know what's going on in my heart. Yeah, but God doesn't know my past. And if we constantly think that we're lost and we forget that God pursues us, then we can't build our lives on that foundation of Christ. And so what we think about ourselves, what we feel about ourselves matters to how we build our foundation on Jesus Christ. The second part of that parable says this. It says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. You see, if you build your life on a foundation of anything other than God's love through Jesus Christ, that foundation is on sand. One way we do this in life is by basing our decisions on how we feel at the moment. Okay, everybody feels alone or lost 
or like the third word on our wall over there, worried. Everybody feels that way sometimes. That's okay. But when you feel worried or lost or alone, you have two choices. You can trust that God's in charge and that he will take care of us. And as Daniel said so well last week, you can press into the one who has plumbed the depths of your heart the one that created you in the first place. You can press into him, and I might add, you can press into the one who has plumbed the depths of my brain and my feelings and who created them in the first place. Lean into him. Trust him. That is basing your life on the rock of Jesus. Or you can let your feelings overwhelm you. You can lash out at others and be angry and blame God for sending the storm and messing up your circumstances. Or you can huddle in fear and be paralyzed by the way you feel. You can decide to behave based on the fleeting feelings of the moment as if that's all that mattered. That's building our lives on sand. I mean, even the good things in life, even the things that we feel good about, our families, our relationships, our work, our hobbies, if we base our lives on the good feelings that come from those, then what happens if they fail us? Families break up. Kids turn their back on their parents. Employees are downsized. Bank accounts decrease and when you base your feelings on those things and you base your value in life on those things on how you feel about those things it is shifting sand and it will fail you and then we no longer feel valuable and that can cause us to worry you know, we, we worry about a lot of things in life, but I think the greatest worry that we have is that we don't feel valuable. We don't feel like we matter. But in that statement there, what do the three dots mean? What's happening? Something's missing. That's right, something's missing. And what's missing is this. Jesus said, listen, I know everything about you. I know the things in your life that go up and down. I know that you've made mistakes in the past. I know, that, I know what goes on inside your head that nobody else knows. I know that you feel unimportant or invisible or unworthy or of no value. I know everything about you and I still love you. You are still valuable to me. Romans 5.8 says it the best, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners, while everything in us was messed up, Christ died for us. Way, way back in the beginning, we found out that the God of creation made us as his little image bearers. And along the way, all of us became lost. But the miracle in this story is that that same God who created us in his image, when the time was right, he joined us. He came to earth as a man, Jesus, the Christ, the Savior, And he, this God who created us in his own image, he died for us. And God says, no matter how you feel about yourself, no matter what is on your list, no matter what things you've done, 
no matter what things you've thought, that he can wipe it away. And he can give you a clean start. And he can take away the emotions and the feelings and he can cleanse those. And he can cleanse your heart and he can cleanse your life and he can even cleanse your mind. And he can wipe you clean and he can wipe you whiter than snow. You know, that's a powerful, powerful, powerful message to hear, but then it doesn't even stop there. Jesus didn't just die for our sins. He came back to life and he did that so he could give us that life that he promised in John 10, 10. He he did that so he could give us that full life, that life that has meaning and that life that has purpose. When he died and he rose again, he gave us that so that we could have that as our foundation upon which to stand. I want to give you one more truth to think about here. So we've, we found in each of these phrases that uh, something is missing. And really, honestly, the reason that something is missing is these are really feeling statements. They really should be, I feel alone, or I feel lost, or I feel worried. Okay, remember, it's okay to have feelings. We all do, that's how God created us. But when we say I am in front of a feeling statement, it's saying we believe that it's who we are. That's the part that's missing. I am not ever alone even when I feel that way. And to overcome that feeling, I need to replace that thought with the truth. I'm I'm not ever lost even when I feel that way. And I need to replace that thought with the truth. One of the best ways to replace that untrue feeling is to express it, to get it out, to say it or to write it down. And then you can see it for what it is and you can choose to replace it with God's truth. When we keep it inside, we often don't see it for what it is. You know, we talked on the same topic at kids camp this year and these boards were there at camp and we used these words there. And at the end of the talk each day, we took them outside and we put them in the the canteen area where they buy their snacks and they play ping pong and they play gaga ball and all that. We put them out there and we told the kids, hey, do you ever feel this way? go ahead and write on these walls. And so we let them write on the walls um, what they did. And we got, I got a picture of a couple of the kids writing. And you'd be shocked. There wasn't a single time that I walked up there during their free time, the kids were not writing on these walls. They covered them. Take a look at some of the things they wrote. It says, because sometimes it seems like no one wants me around. I feel like I'm always second or last choice. I kind of feel invisible. I feel like I'm unimportant to my friends. When my parents fight, I feel worried. I'm worried about my mom because she always seems sad. I'm worried my parents will break up. I'm worried when my mom and dad fight. I feel worried that I'm judged. That my friends will hate me. Those are strong words. My parents fighting makes them feel worried or alone or lost. That's what the eight and the nine and the 10 year olds of our church and other churches are feeling. 
So listen to me. You may feel like this touchy-feely stuff isn't for you. You may feel like, man, if I just get the right knowledge in my head about God, then everything else is fine. But I am telling you, as adults, we don't have this feeling thing figured out. And I'm grateful that our culture is addressing it. And I'm more grateful that the church is starting to address it. Some of the songs that are out there, when we hear things like you say who I am or I am who you say I am and we hear those things, we need to sing those out loud because we need to be reminded of that. But we need to be reminded that who we are is who God says we are, that he created us in his image and that he will always pursue us. We need to be reminded of those things and that he gives us a chance to have our slate white clean. And we need to do this because we need to help the next generation understand and view themselves correctly the way God views them. A couple weeks ago, our student pastor, Mike Bream, spoke about the first myth in this series. And that myth was that we often think the next generation coming behind us is almost too far gone. They're almost not able to be redeemed. But he reminded this part of why this is a myth is that these students and the children younger than them are asking the same questions that every generation asks. They're asking these questions. Who am I? Where do I fit in? And what's my purpose? They might ask them a little differently. They might have slightly different answers, but they're asking the questions. And the problem is when we as adults answer those questions incorrectly, when we answer them in any way other than on the foundation of Christ, well, of course, the students are going to feel lost. Of course, they're going to feel invisible and alone. Of course, they're going to feel worried. When we don't have this figured out, we can't help our kids. We can't help our students. We can't help the next generation to figure it out for themselves. That's why suicide's on the rise and that's why the age of it is younger and younger and younger. So, our third statement, we have to remember that I am valuable because what? God created me. I am valuable because God pursued me and I am valuable no matter what I have done because Christ gave his life for me. Let's say it again. I am valuable because Christ gave his life for me. I am valuable because Christ gave his life for me. And he did it for me and for you while we were still sinners, while we were still messed up, and while he knew everything about us. So the best way for us to help our kids, the best way for us to help them to get over being worried... is to begin to help ourselves. To see ourselves correctly. To see ourselves with the value that God created us to have. To see ourselves the way he sees us, not the way that we often see ourselves. When you believe those things, when you tell God, that apart from him, you don't feel valuable and that you need him in your life. When you turn your life over to him and admit that you're, you need him as your savior, that takes care of your greatest worry. And while you may feel that way again sometimes, and you will feel that way again sometimes, you can always go back to the truth that he created you, he pursued you, and he gave his life for you. And with those truths replacing it, there's no need to worry. And some of you have never done that before. And I'm telling you, I'm encouraging you, reframe how you think of yourself. Reframe how you think of your own value and put yourself 
on the foundation of Christ because it makes a difference for you and it makes a difference for the next generation. Like, let me give you a couple of practical things to do, okay? So one thing you can do is whenever you feel alone or lost or worried or any other of the gamut of negative feelings, it's just replace it with statements of truth. Like those that we've got on the wall over there, there's many, many, many other statements of truth in the scriptures. I love that there's songs that are coming out with that because we can sing those over and over again and we're replacing those negative feelings with the truth. Another you can do is to realize it's okay to feel a certain way. It's okay to have feelings, all right? The fact you have feelings, you know, doesn't make you bad. God created our brains to work a certain way, and sometimes it's focused on one thing, and another thing comes in, and it gets us all messed up, and we have to go, wait a second, that's not true about me. I'm not going to let somebody, I'm not going to let the way my boss treated me mess up my, how I view myself. I'm not going to let the way one of my clients treated me mess up how I view myself. I'm not going to let this thing mess up. I'm going to say, I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to say, nope, that is not true. And it's not bad that I have a feelings. And you know, the truth is, I pretty much grew up thinking that feelings were bad. I thought that was a sin, right? But God created us that way. The feeling is not the bad thing. The emotion is not the bad thing. You've got to reframe it and replace it with the truth. The other thing is this. When you have feelings, make sure to call it what it is. Whenever you find yourself saying something like, I am worried or I am scared, my four-year-old does that. The other day he was on my daughter's top bunk and he didn't want to get down. He said, I'm scared, daddy. And I wanted to say, no, you feel scared. You are not scared because when you, when you phrase it as a feeling, when you put the words, I feel in front of that emotion, you're calling it out. You're, you're identifying the emotion, you're, you're calling it out. When you say, I am, you're defining yourself by that emotion. I am, it's just, it's an identity statement. And so you don't want to put that in front of an emotion. Okay, so our summer series is called Myths. You've seen that all up there. You're wondering what my myth is. This is my myth. The myth that I'm debunking is that I am what I feel. I am what I feel. Because that's a myth. You are not what you feel. It's okay to feel, but those feelings do not have to define you. Just like God created us to have emotions, he also gave us the ability to control our brains and to change how we feel. So be careful when you're using the identity-defining term, I am, when you're really talking about a fleeting feeling. Another thing you can do is to correctly use I am statements to positively identify who you are. Verses like 1 John 3, 1 say this, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and then emphasizes, and that is what we are. Or you could say, and that is what I am. When you base your life on the foundation of Christ, that is what you are. Call yourself that and see yourself that and it will change your life. So Dave Bream's gonna give a couple more practical things next week. I know you're gonna wanna hear that about how we can apply these things in our personal lives and in our marriages. So you're gonna wanna hear that. Well, I told you that the I am statement is an identifying statement. And if you've, uh, you, you probably know that Jesus used the phrase I am uh, in the book of John. He did it seven times. He used it correctly, however. He was identifying himself. And he said things like, I am the light of the world. 
And he said things like, I am the way and the truth and the life. And what Jesus is saying when he says all those statements is he's identifying himself as everything that we need spiritually in life. But he's doing more than just that. He's hearkening back to Exodus where Moses was becoming the leader of God's people, the Israelites. And, and Moses said, well, who do I tell them sent me? And God said, tell them I am that I am. Tell them that I am sent me to you. So Jesus is identifying himself with the God of the Old Testament, the God who created us. He's identifying himself as the great I am. So I told you if we change our perspective on things, that can make all the difference. Well, I wanna leave you with, simple, with a simple illustration. So before we get to all that, well, go ahead and put it up and freeze it there, guys. Remember I told you that um, three dots is an ellipsis, and that means that something's missing. Well, when you look at it from our earthly perspective, when you look at it from the way that you see yourself, when you look at it from this level, from your level, and the only way that you can choose to see yourself sometimes, then what can happen is um, you see that something's missing. But if you change your perspective from down here, and you take that perspective, and you see yourself from God's perspective, go ahead and show that guy then it changes from something's missing to something different. That is the mathematical symbol for because or purpose, okay? So when you change from your earthly perspective to a higher perspective, the way God sees you, it changes from something's missing to because. And let me show you this. So here's, here's what I want you to take away from this. When we find our identity, when we find, I hope you can see this, we, when we find our I am, our little I am, our identity in the because of the great I am in the purpose of the one who created us, then you can know without a doubt that you are always loved. And you can know that you are always valuable to him. And that, that is something that's worth basing your life off of. Let's pray. God, thank you for this message. We need to hear this. I need to hear this. And like I said, I grew up not believing that my feelings were okay in so many ways, Lord. And we as adults often think wrongly of ourselves and think incorrectly of ourselves, Lord. Help us to reframe our, our minds and see ourselves the way you see us so that our lives can be based on the foundation of you and also so that we can pass that on to the next generations that come behind us, Lord. It's so important. Our kids need us, but most importantly, they need you. Thank you, Jesus, for being that foundation for us. We pray this in your name, amen. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.